sifter.com.au. G'day and welcome to Drop Rate by Sifter. Drop Rate is Sifter's review podcast packed with thoughts and feelings about the newest video games, giving you insights from some of the best games writers around. My name is Chris Button, and joining me on the panel this week is Oliver Brandt, writer and reviewer extraordinaire at GLHF and Vooks, plus Jess Zamet, an editor at Player2, director of diversity organization Represent Me, and game dev for Infinity Plus 2, a woman of many hats indeed. This week, we're talking about Master Detective Archives Rain Code, a new IP from the minds behind the popular Danganronpa murder mystery series. An anime sleuth them up with supernatural powers and police state themes. There's lots to discuss. But before we do, here are the top stories featured on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. You're listening to Drop Rate by Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au. So talking Master Detective Archives Rain Code, Jess, it's it's a game that does many things. It wears, like yourself, it wears many hats. Uh, but could you give, give us a bit of an overview of what this complex game is actually about? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it is a lot. It does, it does a lot of things. Um, uh, so Master Detective Archives um, is about a guy whose name is Yuma Cocohead. Um, who one day kind of wakes up, uh, realizes he has amnesia, and kind of the only thing he knows about himself is that he is part of this organization called the, the Master Detective, um, the World Detectives Organization, um, and he, you know, is is tasked with kind of solving mysteries. Um, he has been called to this to this place along with some other detectives um, with the goal of sort of solving this big worldwide mystery. Um, to say any more than that feels like we're kind of getting into spoiler territory already. Uh, but basically it's a game about solving mysteries and kind of working out what's going on in this, this strange place. Um, from the beginning, he has this uh, companion who we'll talk about a lot throughout the podcast, uh, Shinigami, who he knows he has kind of made a pact with and who um, he is connected to, but he doesn't quite sort of know why or what led him to there. So part of the game is, you know, figuring that out too. Um, yeah. That's that's the spoiler-free-ish overview. <laughs> yeah, and and Shinigami for for listeners who are completely new to the the Rain Code sort of, I suppose the the setting and, and the format. Shinigami is 
what's referred to in-game as a, a death god. And as Jess alluded to, she's this spectral being who, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there, which we'll get to soon, but essentially she does help Yuma work through these mysteries using various supernatural powers and going into this alternate reality or alternate universe referred to as a mystery labyrinth uh, to to solve the, these these mysteries but it's when, when you put a lot of these concepts together it's starting to sound like there's quite a lot going on and Ollie in in your review for books which was was rather positive of of rain code one of the the big things you mentioned is that this is a game in serious need of some editing because there's there's a lot of things going on it can be quite verbose in points. So do you mind explaining what, what you mean by that this game needs needs some edits or perhaps could do with a bit of trimming? Uh, yeah, so I think I mentioned in my review that like I had this game for approximately two weeks before the review was due. Um, in the first week, it was literally just me playing the tutorial. And like the tutorial is so dense that like, so there are going to be a bunch of people that just like bounce right off the game because of that. Um, it's just like you know, it, it's a they do not start you off with like a simple case to solve or anything. It's just like here's a remarkably complex, and I think it's probably I think except for one maybe towards the end, it's probably the most complex of the cases throughout the game. Um, but yeah, it's just like yeah, solve this like absolutely ridiculous mystery while also learning all of these mechanics. Um, and then, like, I played the second, you know, the rest of the game, you know, beyond the tutorial uh, in the second week and, like, absolutely had a blast. But, yeah, it's just, like, you know, here's another mechanic and another mechanic and, like, here's the same mechanic, but, like, we're going to dress it up in a different way. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, like, there's so much going on and it doesn't take any time to to slow down and teach you those over the course of the game. It's just, like, here's an extremely front-loaded tutorial and, you know, good luck trying to figure figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then the, you know, with the mysteries itself, it's kind of like, it, it I don't know, I feel like there, there was no editing done there. It was just like, you know, do what you want and don't like cut it down to make it make sense. Or like there was nobody looking over that. Like realistically, you, you learn a new mechanic with every case, kind of in some form at least. So it's, yeah, constantly, even after that initial hectic kind of, introduction it continues throwing things at you yeah and and like that's the thing right is that like some of the mechanics that you do learn straight up like at the beginning they could have been you know in later cases as well Mm. right it's like the you know the barrel thing which i'm sure we'll talk about to some extent later we didn't really need the barrel thing in that first case right like it didn't really add anything to that like it was just another thing that's like now i have to remember this and like figure out what i'm supposed to do with this yeah, it's it's interesting because a lot of people coming to Rain Code will likely be coming uh, as fans of a previous series that the the team who worked on this also worked on called Danganronpa, which is a similar similar in terms of it it involves murder mysteries. It's heavily anime styled, uh, but there that's you know it's a different concept, different setting. So it's not like a, a continued sort of. Uh, story as such and with the Danganronpa series there are a lot of these little mini games to add gameplay and elements to 
presenting your findings during sort of cases or trials or uh, solving these mysteries. And, and some of them, some of them are pretty, you know, cute and funny, whereas others are, you know, very convoluted versions of playing hangman, um, et cetera. And, and that's, you know, one of the examples here with Rain Code, uh, where Shinigami in her sort of humanoid form, uh, which again, we'll, we'll get to in a bit, uh, very, um, uh, I'm trying to think of the best best way to describe Shinigami. Let, let's just say she's uh, presented in a very sort of idolized male gaze woman sort of uh, you know appearance. You know, very uh, yeah. Jess, help help me out here. <laughs> how how would you she, des- how would you describe Shinigami? Uh, I think she's very yeah. It's like a very stereotypical common Japanese, I think, way of representing women in in like Japanese media. Um, a lot of the way that like Japanese idols, like the Vocaloid idols and stuff, she looks kind of similar to like Katsunomiku, for example. Like she's that got that kind of vibe, um, like this impossibly proportioned kind of like weirdly cutesy but sexualized kind of uh, demeanor and mannerisms about her, and like yeah, it's it's. Uh, there's a word for it, I'm sure, but I it's it's um yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one struggling to find the right words to describe Shinigami, but I think you've you've done well in, in terms of yeah, she she is quite an impossibly proportioned uh, character who I severely worry for her uh, back health and back pain <laughs> later in life. Let's put it that way. Um, but the, one of the mini games involves her in a bikini in a spinning barrel where you have to try and pinpoint the right letters to spell you know, the, the answer that you're looking for. And it just summarises some of the, the really bizarre and zany methods of uh, solving cases. But I think Taking it back a, a little bit of a step to Ollie, your point about the the game in in need of sort of editing, I I did find that Rain Code fared a little bit better than Danganronpa, for example, in terms of exposition and the way it shared information, uh, because I did appreciate that instead of repeating the same information ad nauseum. Uh, for example, when characters are brought with you into this mystery labyrinth, they're brought in without their memories or have only select memories. And instead of explaining the whole dealio to them every time, it, the camera sort of pans away as like there's this VHS being fast forwarded feature plays over the conversation. So you don't have to sit through it all the time. I did appreciate some of that stuff, but I, I do totally get what you mean, Ollie, in terms of how many things it throws at you in such a short space of time. But I, I think perhaps that's a good point to, to jump into the, the mysteries and the investigation gameplay of, of Raincode and how that works. Um, I've mentioned about the, the mystery labyrinth, but I haven't really mentioned much about the, the, the Can I Ward uh, sort of setting and investigating and, and that sort of stuff. So, Ollie, would you be able to walk us through sort of how each sort of mystery roughly plays out in terms of a gameplay perspective? Uh, sure. So I, I made this comparison in my in my review, but I think the the closest thing that you could that you could compare Renko to is Ace Attorney in terms of of how it sort of flows out. You have this this crime scene. You know, in pretty much every case, it's a murder, right? There's a lot of stuff in that crime scene that you need to take a look around. There's stuff around the environment as well that you need to, you know, take note of. And all the while you're sort of collecting clues um, 
I can't remember what they. It's it's got a very silly name, like something keys or solution keys. Solution keys. keys. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you're collecting solution keys, which you know in Ace Attorney would just be you know the evidence that you've collected. Um. So yeah, that's like sort of the the first phase of it is just gathering information. Um. After that, you go into the the labyrinth. Um. Which is again just kind of like a glorified courtroom. It's where you have to prove your hypotheses and back them up with, um, you know, the the solution keys that you've found. Um, so the, the the main, you know, I there's a lot of mechanics, obviously, but I think that the main mechanic that the game wants you to focus on and something that they showed a lot in the trailers is the logic battles, um, which is basically where you get it, it's it's sort of styled like a a battle and they like throw words at you and you have to you know dodge statements that aren't relevant or like refute other statements that are relevant with pieces of information that you've got um and i do think that that that's done a little bit better than ace attorney because you're not just like here's a bag full of like 50 pieces of evidence try and figure it out like they, they nail it down to like two or three solutions and you have to throw that back um and then yeah so you're going through this labyrinth um you know sort of I guess uncovering more. Sometimes you'll step out a little bit um, to to re-examine the crime scene, and yeah, it's uh, pretty much you just walk through a corridor for a few hours, and and uh, you know, it's called a labyrinth. It's not really a labyrinth. Um, it's just a series of corridors. Um, there's only really one way to go. Um, but yeah, you you're then just different types of mini games that are essentially doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, uh, just yeah, you're uncovering more of the mystery as you go. In the, in the same way that an Ace Attorney case, like you learn more about it by by pressing on particular topics or statements or something. You know, as you go through these these mini games, you're sort of finding more information and, and piecing it together as well as anybody can. I mean, I agree. It's called a labyrinth, but you really do just spend a lot of time just kind of running down a straight path until eventually you're stopped. And sometimes you're presented with like one or two options for paths that you take, depending on, you know, a question you're trying to answer or a mystery you're trying to solve. Um, but I, I liked the gameplay, but like like Ollie said, it's um it's very Ace Attorney-like in the way it presents statements to you and you have to like rebut them. Um, I found some of the same frustrations with it that I do with Ace Attorney sometimes where it'll present like three statements that you could rebut that are all saying essentially the same thing or like referring to the same sort of piece of evidence. And so you'll try and kind of throw a piece of evidence back at one of them and they'll be like, no, that's not relevant. What are you doing? And I'm like, okay, so in, you know, 30 seconds, like well, not even 30 seconds, like two statements time, there'll be one that's essentially the same thing, but with like two words different. And it'll be like, no, this one, this is the one you have to rebut. Um, which is, yeah, fine, but kind of frustrating because it means you have to go through the whole sequence again of, like, dodging all the statements that came before it and, you know, like, doing the whole action sequence again. Um, which is fine because it's not usually that long but and it's quite fun, but it's, like, a little annoying. You can fast-forward it, um, but even when fast-forwarding it, you still have to then do the quick movement of, like, dodging the stuff that's coming at you. So, um, it kind of doesn't help that much. Um... But yeah, I, I liked it. I, I like the mystery labyrinth as like a representation of kind of the characters. It's hard to talk about it without without getting too spoilery, but like there are times when it's used in a way that's kind of um, refuting some things that maybe characters themselves aren't even uh, sure about, I guess. Or like you're trying to, to 
uh, refute like biases that they have, I guess, or like truths that they hold. Um, and you're kind of helping them overcome those so they can like move past something to get to kind of a, um, a new level of the mystery and, you know, get more information. So one of the things that they do tell you, like, um, you know, fairly early on in the game is that like all of the, the, the challenges that you face in the labyrinth are, you know, something or someone that is standing in the way of the facts of the case. Um, and like, that's a really clever setup because it does mean, you know, again, without getting into too many spoilers, it does mean that they can do some really interesting things with like people or things or, you know, just the state of the world as it is, um, about like how, how that interacts with like finding what the truth is. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's very well done in that regard. It also reminds me of, um, I don't know if anybody here has watched, uh, played even, um, uh, AI the Somnium Files, um, which uh, has a very very similar uh, concept in the in their Somniums that uh, I think is executed very similarly to the Labyrinths in terms of like how it how it plays with um you know the the perception of of what you're doing rather than what you actually are doing. Um, so yeah, it, that's just yeah another comparison that I wanted to make because it it has a lot of that DNA in it there. Yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of Japanese games, especially Japanese role playing games, uh, visual novels, and and similar ilk that deal with similar themes. And I'm thinking of also the Persona series, in particular Persona Five, in terms of the palaces in that game that exist in this sort of separate, you know, sort of plane of existence, uh, manifestations of people's inner desires or perhaps their uh, inner cognitions that they're not aware of on a sort of conscious level, um, and that's that's an interesting way that uh, this also works in Rain Code uh, to sort of not just set dress because it's, it's more than set dressing. It plays into the narrative as well in terms of how these mystery labyrinths you know form part of sort of the the mystery that you're trying to solve as well. Yeah, I mean aesthetically, I don't. It's hard to to kind of disagree that like this is a very pretty game like it's very cool looking like it's quite a striking aesthetic um i think yeah the, the transition to 3d definitely makes the world feel more alive because you were right in in duncan rumper you would walk into a space and then suddenly you would come across what essentially looked like a cardboard standee of like a person and then you would have a conversation with them and you know that that was kind of all you had where everything in this feels really yeah alive um even if there are still those 2d kind of visual novel style representations of characters and you most of your conversations will have will happen with like those representations of them um just knowing that they also exist in 3d form in the world um is is kind of nice um i think it does kind of mean that i i noticed at least the game is like a little glitchy um mostly with textures and stuff kind of popping in and out people's hats going from black to white just randomly in the middle of a conversation um and i don't know if that it, it plays into the fact that it also has extremely long load times to make these environments kind of pop um but yeah it's it's a very cool aesthetic every part of it is a cool aesthetic like the mystery labyrinth is beautiful like there are times when you're you're essentially just walking down a straight path for a ridiculously long period of time but it's still kind of engaging because as you walk down the path the environment is literally like unfolding kind of like 
uh, unboxing itself, I guess, like around you. Um, and it's it's just cool to look at, even if you're not kind of really interacting with it. Uh, yeah, it's it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, you know, something that I've been trying to to do lately when looking at games is like sort of discuss the vibe of it, um, which I know is like super vague, but like uh, you know, uh, some games have like really good vibes, and some games don't quite so much. Um, and like Raincoat is one of those games that has like just spectacular vibes, because um, like you know. You you walk into this well, you kind of walk into this city, um, and like it uh you know it's it's raining all the time and like it just like you you do this like initial walk through through Kanai Ward and it's like it's raining and like there are people that are upset but then there are like you see these people that are just like out there living their lives right and like they're they're sort of like they don't really care that like this this is a city that is like perpetually raining or you know the the fact that like there's a lot of things they can't do and they can't you know you know they don't have the freedom that that perhaps that they should but like they're really making the most of it and i think that like the the neon setting that they've they've sort of hammered down in this in this game like massively contributes to that because like it feels like a a dark you know not very happy place as as you know when you get later in the game you kind of find out it is you know, it's not, you know, it's not the the best place to be. Um, but uh, it uh, it it does feel alive, and I think that's that's really what the presentation's going for. Is that like it it wants to make this place feel alive, um, and it does a really really good job of that, because like there's like basically nothing that you'll walk past in Raincoat, whether it's like in the city or in the the labyrinth, that is not like interesting in one way or another. Um, I still remember, like, you know, 15 hours into the game, I'm, like, walking through an area that I've, like, walked through a hundred times now. But, like, I see, like, you know, a new neon sign on the wall that I didn't notice last time. And I was like, wow, that's that's really cute. Um, and, yeah, it's that kind of thing that, like, if you're still noticing, like, little details that absolutely did not need to be there, um, like, 15 hours into a game, like, it, I think that's, that's a good sign for art direction. Yeah, it, they've done a great job of making it feel like a really lived-in space, uh, which is in stark contrast to uh, previous games I've worked on, particularly the Danganronpa series, which there are narrative reasons for that in terms of, you know, the, the settings are meant to be isolated and it does feel isolating, um, but Rain Code is so the complete opposite in terms of how lived in the space and alive and active it feels, which contributes to the the overall mysteries that you're dealing with in this game and how they're impacting everyone's day-to-day lives and the the oppressive police state that people are sort of uh, living under. A lot of the game revolves around you trying to present and uncover the actual truth uh, you know, as opposed to whatever this oppressive regime says is is what what it is. But I know I know we're not going to go too deep into the mysteries as to not spoil the experience with anyone. But overall, the, the mysteries are great and really fascinating, and interesting, and that the way that the gameplay serves that as well is really cool. But we're all pretty unanimous in that one area where Rainco does lack is in terms of. Its, its characterization and some of its writing does leave a bit to be desired. And, and Jess, I know you've, you've mentioned in particular about uh, this Shinigami character and how 
the the women characters in Raincoat are treated overall. Um, could, could you explain a little bit as to sort of where Raincoat drops the ball here in terms of its its characters and especially the the women? Yeah, so the way that I, the way that I think about Shinigami is that she speaks about other women the way that I remember like teen girls speaking about women in about the year two thousand. Um, like it's not even this this modern form of sexism. It's what feels to me like this kind of really outdated form of like teen girl sexism. Um, like the way that the game itself treats women outside of Shinigami is not inherently that bad. Like there are female, there are some exceptions and I'll talk about those in a second, but like there, there are female characters that are very cool and have a lot of power and are shown as being really strong and intelligent and um, like pivotal to the story in kind of cool ways. Um, But I think because Shinigami is this constant presence that's almost like this, not in a monologue, but she's this voice inside your head all the time. Um, the, the way that she speaks about women is really present, like always. And the way that she kind of encourages Yuma to think about women is really uncomfortable, partly because of the way she like almost sexualizes herself in his eyes, even when he's not really doing that. She's kind of like, she'll tell him like, oh, you're looking at this woman, like you're being a pervert. I bet you're having perverted thoughts. And he's just like kind of trying to live his life, like walk down a street or just have like an everyday normal conversation with a woman. Um, And yeah, so she, you know, she uses words like the one that's stuck in my head is like, there's another female character um, and she calls her a flat chested uggo. Um, And like, that's how she like uh, refers to her for the the, big chunk of the game. and it's just like, why? Like the character that she's talking about is this quite cool character who has, you know, quite an important role in the story and um, is at first at least kind of like friends with Yuma and they're just kind of like having a friendly relationship and trying to solve mysteries together. And Shinigami's here being like, oh, this why are you talking to this flat-chested uggo? Like, I know you're thinking like bad thoughts about her. Like, you want to date her? Like, why, you know, why are you doing this, you pervert? And yeah it's it's not a way that i i would want a male to be encouraged i guess to think about women um particularly because like yuma because he has amnesia there's a lot of things he doesn't know about himself and it's also really unclear how old he is so she's saying all these things to a character that looks quite young um in reference to like how he should feel about basically every woman. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's it's just very uncomfortable. Um, and, yeah. Um, and, it, like, it's not just her. Like I said, there's, there's empowerment of women in the game, but then there's also, like, another character who is supposed to be kind of like a ditzy, airheady sort of character, and, like, she exists. And, you know, one of her plot points is that, all these guys find her attractive, so they go to this cafe to, like, spend time with her and to, like, see her and kind of ogle her, I guess. Um, and that's kind of, like, almost portrayed as her... She has other skills, obviously, but, like, that's kind of portrayed as, like, an important skill of hers. Is like, look, she's attractive and men like her, so we can use her. Um, yeah, so there's, like, a, there's a lot of that, and it kind of permeates the whole story. 
um, mostly through the eyes of Shinigami, but not exclusively. Um, and it's, yeah, it's it's uncomfortable. Because my, my first impression of Shinigami was that, okay, well, she's the she's the designated, you know, smutty, trope-laden, sexual deviant character that a lot of these uh, anime games tend to have. Uh, and I thought, okay, right, there'll be, you know, whatever comic relief to come out of this. And I I thought that, you know, she she was portrayed early on as sort of you know having having agency over over her appearance and you know sort of a, a strong sort of female character who sort of owns her um owns her sexuality owns her sort of you know sort of portrayal and i thought okay well this this is a step up from I think of Danganronpa 2, there's a, a nurse character who is quite frequently put in compromising and embarrassing, highly sexualized positions against her will, uh, and that's played off for laughs. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, that's, that's a step up from that. Uh, but then exactly what you mentioned about Shinigami's treatment of other women in terms of there's there's a victim in one case where Shinigami is very blatantly slut shaming the the victim, uh, and then there's also, as you mentioned, the the jealousy aspect. Which sure you can have a jealous character, but the fact that it's so heavily lent on to speak about other women characters in this derogatory manner really wears down. Uh, yeah. So I mean, Shinigami is the worst because, like, you know. If you remove, like, Shinigami from from the game, like, if she just wasn't there, and, like, all of the things that she does is something that Yuma can just do by himself, it wouldn't, like, it wouldn't be a fundamentally different game. It would just be a lot more pleasant to play. Um, and it's just, like, like, there are times where, like, Shinigami has some, like, really interesting things to say. But then, like, she'll say that really interesting thing, and then immediately afterwards, like, start talking about her breasts or like like it just like there is there is nothing that she says past that like first like hour of the game that is like not just deeply embarrassing to like like not only to me as a player but like the fact that somebody like sat down and wrote that line it's like how how did you think that like this was going to be a, a fun thing for anybody right it's like who is who is this for and i mean like we kind of know who it's for but you know um, I think, yeah, it's just like every single time Shinigami wanted to say something, I was like, please just let this be like a normal conversation. And then it never was. And yeah, there's there's other characters like way later on that I definitely can't mention because huge spoilers, but like just the, the way that like, the way that women in the world of Raincode become victims and are victims is is never really... It never really feels fair or or you know or balanced or like you know there's there's you know the male victims in in some of these cases like you know they had a they had a rough time of things but like the the women always have just like the worst most abhorrent things happen to them and like that's it just it feels like there weren't any women writing this game one of the big problems that i had with Romper, particularly the first one um, is its treatment of um, trans people generally. <laughs> um, and uh, I was hoping going into this that they may have kind of learned from that and that we would steer away from that. Um, but then they're just kind of still a bit weird about gender. Like there's a character 
um, I won't name names, but that, that essentially doesn't... It's, it's not even really clear why they start having the conversation, I guess, but there kind of reaches a point when talking about this character that Shinigami's like, are they a man or are they a woman? We don't know. You have to ask them. You've got to find out. They've got to be one or the other. It has to be a man or a woman. And it's like this really uncomfortable, like, first of all, no, non-binary people exist. Calm down. Um, and secondly, like, why? why? Why are you talking about this? Why is this relevant? And why is it so important to you, Shinigami? Like, I, I assume it's because Shinigami wants to come up with horrible catty insults to use towards them if they are, in fact, a woman, because that's the way that she addresses every female character. Um, but it just feels like this really unnecessary forced, like, gender binary thing. Um, that's so out of place and I don't know why it's there. Because, like, the character is super cool um, and it kind of says in their, like, character description they have no specified gender. So I was like, sweet, great. Love that for them. So cool. Um, but then Shinigami kind of pushes it in this super uncomfortable way. And it's not even, like, a hatred for everybody, a thing I just thought of. Like, because there's another character, like, she's not nice to anyone, but when she's trying to be mean to, like, male characters, like, there's this, there's a guy, and when she's trying to insult him, she's like, ah, the anemic vampire. And I'm like, well, that's a very different insult to calling some, someone, like, a flat-chested, ugly skank, which you do for every woman. Yeah, and I just want to say, like, on, on the topic of that potentially non-binary character, um, it, like, I, I, I talked with uh, my coworker who also reviewed this game, um, at length about this and like we sort of settled on the idea that like we we think what's what's happened there is that like they've tried to make a really big point of the fact that they have a non-binary character so they really need to like you know hammer home like is this you know is this a man or is this a woman but then they just like do not stick the landing like at all and like the character itself like the, the character themselves, like they're, they're handled really really well um just a really, really fantastic character. They never like, oh yeah, I'm actually this or whatever. Right? They they don't give a shit. They they're just there to be like, you know, I'm existing in this world. Who who cares? As as with most of this game, Shinigami is is the problem with that. And I think it was maybe an attempt to do something good that didn't land, rather than something that is like overtly terrible. I realize that you know this this is one one part of Rain Code that isn't handled particularly well which which is a shame considering how good the bulk of the rest of the experience is in terms of the the overall narrative the mystery the engaging gameplay and the um yeah and and the the overall style as as Ollie uh, quite um quite succinctly mentioned uh, the vibes of the game uh off the charts uh which which is great but in terms of Sort of your you know, your overall experience of of Rain Code, Jess. I'll, I'll start with you. Would you still recommend Rain Code to to someone? I would. I would still recommend it to someone to play. I would also just put a caveat on it that like be ready that you know this is something that's gonna come up throughout the whole game. Like her attitude to women is bad. Like I've I've already recommended it to people. Like I have a friend who really likes um, a lot of these kind of Japanese games, and she is 
way more used to these sorts of tropes popping up in media than I guess I am. So she was kind of like, yeah, it sucks, but like, I get it. I'll get past it. Um, so I think particularly if you're <laughs> used to that, I guess it'll, yeah, it's, I would still recommend it for sure. Um, I wish it wasn't this, um, like my housemates walked in and were like, we thought this was a remake of an old game because of the, the way they were talking about women. Like it feels so dated in its descriptions. Um, but I think there's so much about it that's so cool. The plot is so cool. The world is so cool. And like the the overall, yeah, like I said, the vibes of it are just so good and it's so clever in so many ways um, that it's really frustrating uh, that Shinigami exists and is everything that she is, but it doesn't ruin the game. I still think it's it's an impressive uh, achievement as a game. And Ollie, what about you? How how would you sum up your overall overall thoughts on on Rain Code and whether you'd recommend it or not? It's a lot of fun to play. Like despite the fact that it gets off on a really rocky foot with the tutorial being way too dense. I, I was talking to other people who played it, and like us, like venting about how stupid the first case is, is something that like that like I think is a really lovely experience. Like if you can if somebody else plays that, right, I'm gonna recommend it to people just so I can see what they think of that first case. As I said, the the vibes are, are immaculate. It it it's a hell of a lot of fun to play. And yeah, if if you're able to ignore all of those things that that make it a frustrating experience at times, it, it's it's genuinely like one of the the best mystery games I've ever played. Um it's just unfortunate that that, you know there's that whole Shinigami thing. Um, but uh, I, I will say as well, there, there is DLC where you get to play as the other characters. Um, that Well, the first one I think has just come out uh, and all of the other ones will be like the other master detectives. So I'm very excited to actually see that because being able to play in that world, solving mysteries with those characters without Shinigami there sounds like an absolute blast to me. Um, and yeah, also um, just just, you know, before we we wrap up i just want to say that like the the music is incredible and i love masafumi takata's stuff um when the first trailer for the game came out like i i tweeted out like oh this is like masafumi takata before it was like confirmed or anything i was like i i know this composer and yeah it was and it's amazing uh so that that is indeed master detective archives raincode from tokyo games and spike chunsoft uh thank you to nintendo australia for giving us code for review you can pick it up on nintendo switch right now sit down for a chat with your pals in video games you're listening to Sifter. This has been Drop Rate by Sifter, our video game review podcast. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the theme music. And Sifter is produced by Chris Button, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, Mitch Lowe is senior producer, and Gianni Di Giovanni is our executive producer. So if people want to to hear or read more from uh, from either of you jess we'll start with you when where can people find your work um so my reviews and thoughts on games will go up on player2.net.au uh so you can check those out there including my review of this game which will be out at the time that this is um released uh or you can still for the time being at least find me on twitter <laughs> at Zabit jess um and from there we'll be able to find 
meet all the other places. What about you, Ollie? So, obviously, a, a lot of my Nintendo stuff goes up on Vooks.net. And, yeah, I'm also on Twitter, which is at Chocobalt, C-H-O-C-O-B-A-L-T. And, uh, you know, we just uh, launched at GLHF a new website, uh, which is uh, Geek Parade, which is uh, geeky.parade.com. And that's where most of my work is going to be going forward, so... Yeah, check that out. Uh, so that's all for this week. Uh, you can check out what Sifter is up to on socials, which is at Sifter HQ on most socials, uh, such as Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Blue Sky, Threads, whatever people are actually using at the time of this being released. Or you can hop into the Sifter Discord and have a yarn with the team about what you're playing at the moment. And we'll include a link to that in the show description. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Drop Rate, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing the episode on social media. This helps put us in front of more people and enables us to provide more in-depth coverage. Plus, you can check out our other podcast, Lightmap, where we talk to other developers, creatives, and people who are doing cool things in interactive media on your favorite podcast app of choice. And if you like games, coverage in written form, head to sifter.com.au for articles, interviews, and more. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hey there, Gianni here. On the latest episode of Lightmap Sifter's interview podcast, Maddie Annabelle and Shaz Dio from Brisbane's Half Brick share the history of Fruit Ninja and the new version they've built for Apple Vision Pro. We're a company that's not afraid to fail, so we thankfully had a lot of support and were able to just keep trying things over and over and over again until it felt right. Our biggest kind of challenge was just trying to figure out how to truly make it feel like you are doing this slicing, getting it one for one, making it feel juicy and exciting. We wanted to be able to pick up a fruit off the ground and slice it, throw it somewhere and have you know the juice and the splats appear everywhere. And it was just a lot of iterations and trial and error. You can get every episode of Lightmap for free on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, or head to our website, sifter.com.au.